Hi everyone, welcome to Luxury Voices, the podcast about the luxury world in Asia with a focus on the greater China market. I am Joanne Tang, your host, founder and CEO of Infinite Luxury Group. In this podcast, we converse about all layers and segments of luxury, from lifestyle, travel, to hospitality trends. I will interview key players of the luxury industry from all corners of the globe. We will talk about their initiatives and experiences in conquering the Asian luxury consumer. Discover how leading luxury executives handle this growing market, where luxury spending is the highest in the world, and gain a wealth of knowledge to harness this ever-promising luxury market. Simon Niggers, Senior Vice President of Sales, Marketing and Communications, oversees the global strategy for Utker Collection, an exclusive portfolio of masterpiece hotels and estates. Simon has over 15 years of experience in luxury hotel communications and brand marketing, previously serving as Global Vice President of Communications and Portfolio Marketing for the Luxury Brands Group at Marriott International. Atker Collection compromises one of the most exclusive portfolios of luxury hotels in the world, all true masterpieces. These properties are located in the most desirable destinations around the globe. The hotels are icons of elegance, combining legendary hospitality with genuine family spirit that is unique to Atker Collection. It is a great pleasure to have you here on Luxury Voices, Simon. And before we start the core of our conversation, what does the word luxury mean to you? Joanne, thank you so much, firstly, for, for having me on the podcast. It's, it's great to be here. To answer your question, what luxury means to me personally, you know, I would start by saying that it's actually really personal. And you could say that it's, it's in the eye of the beholder in a way. You know, it, it can mean something different, really depending on who you ask. And at the same time, the word luxury is is rather overused and, and therefore, I would say, almost has lost some of its meaning. Personally speaking, I would say that it often has to do with craftsmanship, with authenticity, with scarcity, and also with intention. And from a service or human interaction point of view, for me, this really has to do with true, genuine care that feels warm and personal. So if I would put that into an example, you know, it could be enjoying the best fresh fish tacos on a little beach shack that you randomly found somewhere on a deserted beach in Mexico, or it could be the most incredible suite at the Bristol in Paris where dinner is prepared for you by um, our three Michelin star chef, Eric Frechon. So it really, it, it depends on the moment, it depends on who you ask, and it doesn't always have to do with things that are very expensive. It can be in small, in small, more meaningful things as well. Excellent. Originally from the Netherlands, also my home country, you recently moved from New York to Paris in the middle of the pandemic. How challenging was that move from a personal standpoint? Have you settled down now? I have, I have. I've been here seven months now, and I, I, I could, I can say I've, I've really settled down. I'm taking French lessons first and <laughs> foremost, which uh, my French is still a bit rustic, but my colleagues are helping me. So during lunch, we, we speak in French or we try to speak in French. But no, to to answer your question, a, a big change indeed. 
uh, on many different levels. So I guess for, for me, as for many, the pandemic almost forced me to reflect on my life and my career and look to the future. And, and never before ha had I had a moment where you really had to stop and where everything around us stopped. So, you know, as you as you mentioned, I'm originally from the Netherlands. I just found out you are as well. So that's that's really wonderful to hear. And my partner and I had long discussed to move back to Europe as we as we both grew up there. And so in a way, as a result, Paris and London were at the top of our list uh, simply due to the, the business that um, we both work in. I've now been in Paris for about seven, eight months. It's, it's moving rather quickly. I moved here middle of September last year. And I, I have to say, even with many of the restrictions in place, still, I've really gotten to enjoy the city. And it's it's rather strange to walk through Paris now with no tourists and no queues and no traffic, really, and, and see the city from a completely different point of view. So, you know, that's been rather enjoyable. And then from a business point of view, I would say, you know, having a slightly less hectic travel schedule than I had before, you know, simply due to the fact that borders were closed and I wasn't able to travel, almost gave me the opportunity to really focus on getting started on the job properly and getting settled in Paris. So it gave me a bit of peace of mind, bizarrely. So, uh, you know, kind of a strange silver lining, perhaps, if you will. Well, and I would say, you know, lastly, the, the good news is that terraces have reopened and museums have reopened in Paris as of middle of last week. And I will say the atmosphere is really great. People are outside. Um, they're really enjoying themselves. Life is coming back to Paris. So you can you can see it um, returning. My office is at in a building next to Le Bristol in, uh, on uh, Faubourg Saint-Honoré. Mm -hmm. And I came to work uh, middle of last week, uh, one morning, and there was actually a traffic jam in front of uh, Le Bristol because we had uh, several delegations staying with us. And I texted the president of the hotel and I said, it's so good to see the action back <laughs> and, and have a traffic jam again. I, I haven't seen that in, in, in seven months. So life is slowly returning to Paris, which is wonderful. Great to hear that you settled so well in Paris, Simon. Next time we speak, we can try our Dutch or French. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Simon, you have worked with some of the most renowned brands in the industry, from the highly exclusive private collections of hotels to international luxury hotel groups. You are now with one of the most exclusive property portfolio in the world, Utker Collection. So you have left the largest hotel group in the world where you had some pretty interesting and rewarding responsibilities to join one of the smallest collection in the world, albeit very exclusive. What motivated this move? It's a great question. It's a question I get a lot, actually, because the, the change could have could have not been bigger, really. You know, I was with, with Starwood, which uh, during the acquisition became Married International, or was included into the Married International uh, portfolio for many, many years prior to moving to France and joining Utker Collection. And my responsibilities there, uh, I was VP of Communications and Portfolio Marketing for the Luxury Brands Group, which includes uh, Ritz-Carlton, Bulgari, uh, St. Regis, Ritz-Carlton, uh, sorry, Edition, etc., and so great responsibilities. I, I really enjoyed my time. I was there fully throughout the acquisition of Marriott and of Starwood by Marriott. 
And so I learned a lot. It was a hectic time and we were really building the luxury brands group, if you will, from the ground up. So incredibly exciting time. Before I moved into that role, before I moved to New York for my job at Starwood at the time, I was with a company called Mayborn Hotel Group in the UK, uh, which is a small ultra luxury organization um, in the in the hotel space with hotels like Claridge's, etc. And so I had always had very fond memories of my time with Mayborn simply because it was a small organization and you were really able to affect true change and make things happen. And so for me, that had always kind of lingered in the back of my mind. As much as it was wonderful to work for, for an enormous organization, it's sometimes harder to get things across the finish line. And so I wanted to return to a small portfolio of hotels that are solidly positioned in the ultra luxury space. That was really the, the you know, the, my prime focus because that's really where my passion lies. And I wanted to go somewhere where there was true room for innovation and creativity. And so I founded an Utker collection, you know, during my conversations prior to joining in this role, I really felt that there was uh, room for that. I felt that there was a new chapter happening for the company and it seemed like the right time to, to make such a move. And then additionally, I would say taking uh, taking on sales responsibilities has been has been part of my new role. And I'm very excited about that. It's a part of the business I've always worked alongside, but I never really managed. So I know the key players. I know kind of how it works but I'm keen to learn and to kind of, you know, grow my experience in that arena. I'm very thankful for an incredible sales team around the world that Utker Collection has built over, over the years. And, you know, I would, I would conclude this, this by saying that working for hotels like Le Bristol in Paris, Hotel du Cap in, in Antibes and Tommy Bay in Antigua, Eden Rock, St. Bart's, the Brenner's Park Hotel, the Lanesburg, Palacio Tangara, Chateau Saint-Martin, Palacio um, L'Apogée. I mean, it's a dream come true, really. It's a small but mighty portfolio of what we call Masterpiece Hotels. So uh, it's, it's a true pleasure to have joined this organization. Fantastic. And what did you have to adapt to due to the scale of the Utker collection versus your previous position, Simon? What I had to adapt to, I would say, well, two things. One, taking on the sales responsibility that I just that I just mentioned. So learning about that part of the business and, and really kind of getting under the skin of that. And separately, we are, I am in my role now, much less than in my previous role, very, very involved with the individual properties. So I really work with the general managers and with the directors of sales and marketing, you know, weekly, I would say, to align our um, objectives and to make sure that we're all heading into the right direction. So I would say those are kind of the big the sales part and the direct contact with the hotels, which I really enjoy. And I kind of missed a bit during my time um, at Marriott because it's just simply too large of an organization to do that. Those are the big changes, I would say. Thank you for sharing. Utker Collection is still a young hotel group. It was created in 2008. In a short time, it has achieved a stellar reputation through its service elegance. And of course, the masterpieces, as you mentioned, the masterpieces properties. Can you explain to us what is the brand DNA, its values, and how is it different versus other luxury hotel collections? Yeah. I would say, you know, Utker Collection is really known and respected for our focus on extraordinary hotels. And I mentioned it briefly before, but we call those masterpieces. And for us, 
this term really describes how much we care about the individuality of the hotels, you know, like a masterpiece, like a painting, you know, that there's only one of them, if you will. You know, and then simultaneously, I would say it also relates, the term masterpiece relates to quality, craftsmanship, and rare beauty. And as I just mentioned, the masterpiece is, is by definition one of a kind, um, and it refers to the strong personality, if you will, that our hotels have. At the same time, our company values are centered around the terms of family spirit, elegance, and genuine kindness. And I think it's this combination of the qualities, the masterpieces, and then at the same time, the attitudes of family spirit, elegance, and genuine kindness that really describe what this brand and all of our hotels stand for. And I would go even further by saying that, you know, it's that combination that has led to many of our guests over time uh, really seeing our hotels as their home away from home, which is really special. And I know many hotel brands will say that. It's a term that, you know, home away from home is, is used often, but I think we can really, really own that. You know, people, if you think about Hotel Ducap as an example, people come back to this hotel for generations. They come there mm -hmm. as children, they then bring their children, and they then come as a multi-generational family. It's just incredible. And they build relationships with the team at the hotel, you know, over many, many decades. So it is really like coming, coming back to your summer home for many of them. Yes, speaking of masterpieces, you'll be opening your 10th masterpiece, the Woodward in Geneva, and in 2022, Hotel La Palma in Capri, a real icon, as it was Capri's first hotel in 1822. What do these properties represent for the collection? Thank you for bringing these two uh, masterpieces, joining the collection up. It's uh, It's been a true pleasure to work on them. So firstly, the Woodward in Geneva, opening September 1st of this year, so uh, so late summer. We are working hard on, on the preparations for this property. It's located on the Kay Wilson, right in front of Lake Geneva, the most beautiful setting. And what's really special is that it's only 26 suites. So it's the only all suites property in, in Geneva. The interiors have been done by Pierre-Yves Rochon to the most extraordinary uh, level of detail. So you should think about marquetry in the beautiful uh, walls of the closet. You should think about little Lalique door handles, you know, beautiful parquet flooring and just, you know, bespoke pieces designed in terms of the interiors and the furniture. The restaurant experiences will be rather grand. We have an atelier de Joël Robuchon, and mm -hmm. there's a restaurant concept, Le Jardinier, which is um, actually a, a concept that comes from the U.S. It's, they have a Michelin star in New York, and um, they have a, an outpost in Miami. Very, very popular, and it's, it's a lighter take on lunch and dinner, uh, very vegetable-driven. This will be on the kind of mezzanine level of the hotel, if you will, the, the main floor of the hotel with big windows overlooking the lake. So a very different experience from uh, Joël Robuchon, which is, you know, a bit more theatrical. It's all about the food and the chefs. It's the open kitchen concept, um, a bit sexier and really a, a fabulous spot for dinner. 
or for lunch. And then lastly, for the Woodward, we are we're opening a spa by Maison Guerlain at the hotel, which is the first uh, Guerlain spa in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So that will be a, a big moment for the hotel as well. And the spa facilities, if you will, have uh, they're quite um, they're quite extraordinary with a, a big indoor pool, uh, one of the largest indoor pools in, in Geneva. So many different USBs for this property. And then, as you mentioned, Hotel La Palma in Capri, I mean, the storytelling for this property is is rather uh, incredible. It's the Mm -hmm. oldest and the original hotel on the island, dating back uh, to the turn of the 19th century. It's in Capri town for for those of you knowing um, Capri town. It's right above Animari Core, which is one of the most famous nightclubs on the on the island, um, right in the heart of it. So it's really the epicenter of, of Capri village. We're taking the room count down from about 80 rooms to 50 rooms. So we're really enlarging the room size. And then we're working with Gennaro Esposito on the restaurant on the main floor. And we're creating a rooftop restaurant for the first time at the hotel too. And he's interesting because he's um, a chef originally from Sorrento. And he has a famous two Michelin star restaurant there. And so he's coming across to Capri. He knows the area really, really well, incredibly popular in, in Italy. And he'll be doing some, some beautiful food for, for the restaurant concepts there. And then lastly, for La Palma, I would say one of the, the real standouts is the, the fact that we will have our own beach club called La Palma Beach Club in Marina Piccola, which is the, the area where all the famous beach clubs are for the island. So we really can offer our guests the, you know, incredible hotel accommodations, restaurant experiences at night when the town really comes to life and during the day, an incredible um, uh, beach club experience. Many, many unique highlights. Sounds like an amazing uh, experiences. Can't wait to visit these unique masterpieces. The collection is made of the masterpiece properties. You also put a focus on the villas connected to each property. Are you marketing the villas in a different way? It's a great question, particularly during the pandemic, I would say, because we have seen that the properties that offer private villa options for guests have been extremely popular during the pandemic. You know, taking Jumbi Bay Island as an example, this is a private island located just off the coast of Antigua. And during the pandemic and all the way through now, the hotel has 28 suites, which are all very spacious and kind of set up perfectly for social distancing. But the hotel also offers 48 private villas and and residences. And these are three bedroom, all the way up to 10, 12 bedroom estates, if you will, on the island. And so what we've seen there is that the demand has been really incredible. And also what's interesting is that a lot of them are for long stays. So we're seeing people really move there for several weeks at a time, work from there. Many of the children during homeschooling or during remote learning were able to uh, to, to be on the island and it didn't really matter where they were, were necessarily. So Jumbi Bay is a great example. Same for, for Eden Rock as in Barts. We have two villas on property. So um, Villa Nina and Villa Rockstar really located on the premises of Eden Rocks and Bart. So they're part of the act. I mean, it's you have a ton of space and, and privacy, but it's part of the action of Eden Rocks and Bart. So the dinner, the beach, uh, it's really lively and, and wonderful. 
But we also um, have Eden Rock Villa Rental, which is a collection of 150 villas on the island, which are privately owned. But we will facilitate the booking for you and we offer all of the hotel services. So butlers trained um, and part of the Eden Rocks and Bart's team or chefs, concierges, etc. So that that product has been, been very popular as well. Then on the villa side, Hotel du Cap has some villas. We're opening a brand new villa this season, Villa Saint-Anne on the property, uh, which is very exciting. And then for Chateau Saint-Martin, we have fantastic villa product as well. So Chateau Saint-Martin is in Vence, uh, very close to, to Nice in Provence, if you will. So in the, in the mountains, with beautiful views of the sea in the background, but really right in the, in the heart of Provence in, in nature. And then lastly, we have two chalets at uh, La Poget, our, ho- our ski hotel in Courchevel, which are, again, very popular for family use um, and for longer periods of time as well. So I would say that the Villa product has been popular to begin with, but particularly during the pandemic where people are looking for larger spaces and more privacy. This has really uh, been a game changer for us. Yes, that's what I was thinking uh, as well with travelers wanting to have more space and privacy post-pandemic without giving up the benefits of the hotel services. The demand must have surged for the villas. Yeah, absolutely. The pandemic has not deterred the group from carrying on with these projects. Did it also create more opportunities to grow the collection? Should we expect more announcements soon for new masterpieces, Simon? Well, we're definitely looking at at some (laughs) exciting opportunities. I can say say, say that much. But really, first and foremost, we're focused currently on reopening many of our hotels for the summer season in Europe. So, you know, some of them have had rather long closures and we are just thrilled to be opening up the doors again of um, hotels like uh, Chateau Saint-Martin, Brenner's Park in Baden-Baden in the, in the Black Forest. So that's really where our focus is currently. And then secondly, as I mentioned, the Woodward Geneva, La Palma Capri, a lot of work and effort goes into uh, to making sure that those hotels open right and that they are perfectly positioned. So I would say that's the company's focus. We're a small team. We represent a beautiful collection of hotels and we have two amazing properties joining the group. But then again, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we continue to look for interesting opportunities. Uh, we have many coming across our desk recently. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with that. And it seems that as a group, we are in the right place because, you know, we really believe that travelers at the highest end of the market are steering away more and more from big branded hotels and look for truly authentic properties that couldn't really be replicated anywhere else. So, yeah, we're not growing to grow. It's a it's real luxury to work for a company where we really look at the individual opportunity and see if it matches our definition of masterpiece if it if it really kind of if we believe we can really do something there that kind of makes it this property one of the icons of, of the collection and yes we have a, a couple in the couple in the works that we're looking at but nothing to announce as of yet unfortunately fantastic we see this in asia as well the most affluent traveler are looking for independent and unique hotels instead of uh, the bigger hotel yeah. groups. Yes. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it, and it just seems that that is a trend that has been happening for quite a while. But people want to feel they are in the destination. Like mm-hmm. if I think about 
Paris as an example. If you stay at Le Bristol in Paris, you truly feel you're in Paris. Like you couldn't be anywhere else in the world from the food to the service to the quality of the materials. It oozes French and Paris. And there are other experiences in the city that might have less of that kind of destination flavor, if you will. And so, you know, I also believe that people want to stay in hotels where you feel that the local community mixes, right? You want to be in a hotel bar where you feel the Parisians or the Londoners are there. You, you don't want to sit around only other hotel guests necessarily. You want to feel that the city comes to life in those places. And I think more and more they look for those, for those individual um, authentic hotels for, for that reason. Since you took your position, most of the properties must have been closed. Did this create an additional challenge for you or did it allow you to take a step back and concentrate on the task ahead, as you briefly mentioned? And what have your priorities been in the last few months? Yes, I mentioned that a bit at the beginning, but I would say the latter, to be honest, because it was a bit of the silver lining for me personally, as it allowed me to take a step back in a way and look at the business as a whole rather than jump right in and, you know, put out fires. You know, you know how that goes. You start a new job and there's always uh, things happening immediately um, that you have to take care of. You know, on the contrary, though, I would say it also meant that I didn't have my whole team with me immediately because most of them were working remotely. And as of now, I haven't been able to, to meet some of the team that is located in the U.S. and Latin America and in in Dubai, for example. So really building relations relationships from the start through Zoom is just not easy and it's just <laughs> not the same. So the first thing I will do is travel to, to meet the teams around the world. And I can't wait for the day that I have a full office here in Paris again with all my team around me because we are still, you know, uh, obviously uh, carefully looking at, uh, at government kind of um, rules, if you will, in terms of office attendance currently. So yeah, I can't wait for borders to open up properly and, and, and to travel the world again. And then I guess to answer your second question, which was, you know, my priorities over the last few months, I would say a couple. We really took a close look at refining our brand essence and the DNA of the, of the company. Our long-term CEO transitioned uh, in March of last year and our CFO, um, Timo Grunert, took the CEO position. So with him uh, on board and with me joining in September last year, we had an opportunity to kind of write the new chapter for Edgar Collection. So we've been busy with kind of that brand essence and DNA work, if you will. And as a result of that, I'm also currently looking at the brand ID for Edgar Collection. So, you know, anything that you kind of touch, kind of touch and feel about the brand, the logo work, et cetera. So those two big projects we're working on, we're taking a close look at our uh, online experience and big digital projects. So anything from kind of website user experience to CRM management, those things are in the works for, for the group. And then lastly, a part that I'm particularly excited about is the ID work and the brand positioning work I've been doing for the Woodward and for La Palma and Capri. So really writing the, the, the story for those new properties coming, coming online and making sure that all of our team members and all of our hoteliers around the world are singing from the same hymn sheet, if you will. So many exciting priorities, Simon. <laughs> Speaking of the brand DNA in essence, each masterpiece is very unique. 
rich in history and often with their own DNA. How does Utker Collection become a recognizable brand out of such a diversity? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say that's really exactly where our strength lies. You know, we, we see Utka Collection as an endorsing brand, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to give you an example, people stay at Hotel du Cap or they stay at Eden Rocks and Bars or they stay at Le Bristol in Paris because it's the Bristol in Paris and because they have an affinity for this property. So really the hotels are the stars in our collection. And, you know, we would never want to temper with the individuality of those properties, if you will. But then in the background, there are great synergies and levers we can pull. You know, we we speak internally a lot about this concept of individuality together. And mm-hmm. I feel that's actually very fitting. You know, the individuality of the property should be strong and the DNA of that hotel should come to the fore. But in the background, there is there is a lot you can do as a, as a group much more easily than, than as an independent or individual hotel. And then, you know, if you think about it from a sales and marketing point of view, which is obviously my team and my department, there's really great opportunity to talk about the collection of Masterpiece Hotels to our guests, as we know that some of them stay, uh, you know, in several properties of the collection. So, and, and some of them are actually interesting combinations. We have a big group of Brazilians traveling to Cochevel every year. So we have a mm-hmm. wonderful hotel in Sao Paulo called Palacio Tangara. And because of the brand awareness of Utka Collection in that market through this property, we've actually seen an uptick in uh, reservations at uh, La Poget in Cochevel over the years, and more recently at Jumbi Bay. So, you know, from a sales and marketing point of view and a B2B point of view, there is real benefit in belonging to a collection rather than, um, than being a, a hotel on its own. Yes, individuality together. I like this term, Simon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This might be a bit challenging to answer, but let's give it a try. Europe is slowly reopening its doors to travelers, your properties as well. What has changed in your properties compared to a year ago? It can be, have they gone through upgrades or what can a guest expect in terms of new safety measures? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I would say we we obviously make sure that we fully comply with local health and safety regulations, but that's table stakes and that's a given, you know. And at our end of the market, people really trust us for creating the best and safest experience for them. And that's often why they actually choose us in, to begin with. You know, you know that if you go to Brenner's Park in Baden-Baden, it will be an amazing experience, but it will also be safe and fully compliant with all the regulations for that particular market. You know, I would say in the rooms and suites, we've made some small changes, you know, more obvious, like there's a bit less collateral due to sanitary measures, etc. And then we're really maximizing our outdoor space because we, you know, for obvious reasons, realize that many people prefer to be outside um, currently. So in Sao Paulo, as an example, we created a whole new terrace called Patio de Tangara, and it's uh, it's been from day one, incredibly successful, just simply because people look for outdoor dining experiences much more than ever. To answer your question from a spa and kind of wellness point of view, I would say we're looking very carefully at what social distancing means in that respect. So we're looking at more private use of certain parts of the spa experiences for now so that you can make reservations to use the, the, the steam room, for example, or the fitness center. And, and our hotels are actually quite well set up for that. 
And then at the Bristol, you know, I thought this is a, this was maybe an interesting example to mention. We actually created workout suites, so we we converted several bedrooms into gyms, private gyms that you can book. So rather than trying to socially distance or having a very low number of people in the gym, we actually created private spaces for people to work out, which has been really, really uh, popular. Workout suites, that's a nice uh, concept. (laughs) After Europe, eventually North America, Asia should also reopen to international travel. Countries in Asia seem to have managed the pandemic quite efficiently, but no one is out of the woods. You briefly shared prior to the podcast, but please elaborate. Do you count on a strong rebound from Asian countries' guests visiting your hotels? We certainly hope so. You know, travelers from Asia uh, coming into particularly our city destinations, London, Paris, is is vital for those cities. And and so I, I truly hope that they can return as soon as borders reopen and they feel that it's safe to, to travel, you know, it's really dependent on any of the regulations and requirements, right? So they might be able to travel here, but then may have to quarantine back home. So we're seeing that quite a bit right now, where, for example, the UK is opening up to travelers from Australia, but Australians aren't able to travel out or Australians would have to quarantine when they would travel back. So. I think there will be a bit of a gray zone for quite a while where people really carefully have to look at what it means to travel to a certain destination. But 100%, we hope very much that Americans and people from Asia will will be returning soon. It's very strange to to see Paris, as I mentioned to you earlier, without any of the tourists on the streets. And I think (laughs) we were all so used to it. You couldn't imagine Paris without without many, many people visiting. And and obviously that's starting to return bit by bit right now. I would say we're seeing demand increase from the U.S. because they have uh, made some announcements around American travelers being able to come back to Europe and not having to quarantine when they travel back home. And then I would say, you know, one of the big trends from the from the coming out of the pandemic is also this idea of last minute business. So we are seeing even for hotels like Jumbi Bay in Antigua, where people normally would book a family vacation months in advance, uh, we're seeing people make reservations for, you know, in a two, three day travel window. A lot of people actually wait until they have a negative PCR test and then book their travel because they want to make sure they can actually travel. So I think that you'll see more and more of that. I think long haul from uh, from China, for example, that's a bit trickier because you really want to plan your trip and you go for longer periods of time normally. But yeah, it will be interesting to see when that rebounds. But we are we are definitely hoping it, it won't be too long. In recent years, even pre-COVID, we witnessed changes in the ultra-luxury Chinese traveler, especially as they have already trotted around the globe. They tend to look for unique places, especially when it comes to choosing a destination and a place to stay, as we mentioned. Atker Collection seems to be a perfect match for this clientele. China's affluent traveler is set to become the largest market in the world. Is it a priority for you to build this market, Simon? Well, in short, 100%. Yes, definitely. You know, as we discussed earlier, kind of in the ultra high net worth kind of space, people are really looking for these individual authentic experiences in the luxury hospitality space. And so we are perfectly set up to cater to that demand. I would say 
as part of that strategy, we are actually opening an office in, in China, in Shanghai, within the next six months to take care um, of reservations for our guests and really to better serve them in language when they're traveling from the region um, to our hotels around the world. And we're increasing our sales efforts in mainland China as well. And then secondly, I don't have to tell you the power of social media in, in mainland China. And so we're looking at this very closely. We have a presence on Weibo and WeChat, and we have um, a presence on Little Red Book for Bristol, Paris. And so we're looking at building that out um, more aggressively, I would say, over the next uh, over the next year or so when we see that demand is going to return to our markets. You know, maybe interesting to mention, I looked at our numbers and, and for 2019, from mainland China, the demand was strong for the Bristol Paris, for Brenner's Park in Baden-Baden and for the Lanesboro in London. But we're also seeing kind of new destinations that, that are really getting the attention from the from the high net worth uh, Chinese traveler, including Courchevel, which is, uh, you know, as I mentioned, our ski, uh, our ski destination in France. And we are seeing interest for Geneva, particularly because of Joey and Watches, but also schooling. So there's mm-hmm. a big summer school program there for international uh, families and, and obviously many very highly regarded uh, universities. And then lastly, I would say La Palma and Capri, we believe that the demand for this hotel will be rather global, just simply because Capri is such an iconic destination that is in favor of, of many, many people from around the world. So I would say Geneva, Courchevel, Capri are kind of on the up and coming or kind of new destination list, whereas uh, Baden-Baden, but particularly Paris and London are more established uh, markets for us. Great. Yes, reservations, sales and social media initiatives in China are all very essential if you really would like to develop uh, the market. Yes. As the collection is mostly in Europe right now, having a masterpiece in Asia, eventually in China, would go a long way in building a brand recognition in the region. Is it part of the strategy in a not too distant future as well? That would be wonderful. I agree with you that, you know, having a physical property in the market is the best brand builder at the end of the day, because that's how guests can actually interact with your brand, you know, in market. You know, as I mentioned a bit earlier, we're really focused on the Woodward and La Palma first and foremost, and we have incredibly high expectations in terms of what we want to do there and build these destinations in and of themselves. I would say for Edgar Collection, you know, we continue to look for the right development opportunities around the world to carefully grow the group, but really in destinations that are favored by our guests. We know that we can be very successful if we open an Edgar Collection type experience in a market that is really visited and frequented by our travelers and by our most loyal guests. It's a bit harder for us as a brand to do this in markets that are that are not maybe as well known. Just as an example, you know, we it would be wonderful to have you know a hotel in Capri. It might be a bit trickier for us to have a hotel in Puglia in the south of Italy, which is still a bit of a developing area, which is becoming very popular. But we know in a market like Capri, it's just a bit more obvious for us to do that. And then, yeah, to come back to your your question specifically on mainland China, there's nothing in the pipeline currently, but but who knows, you know, the, the, <laughs> there are many opportunities out there. So I wouldn't say that we will uh, we will not do that. It's just, it all depends on the right opportunity coming along. 
Yes, looking forward to that great news once you have. Yes. How would you describe Utker Collection in one sentence, Simon? <laughs> That's hard for me as a, <laughs> as a marketing and salesperson. But, you know, I would say that it's a portfolio of masterpiece hotels located in the world's most desirable destinations where our core values of family spirit, elegance and genuine kindness translate into truly memorable experiences for our guests. That's a very long sentence, but a very good one, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, I, I, I had to give it a try. <laughs> Simon, before ending our conversation, I would like to ask you a few more personal questions. You can answer quickly or you can elaborate as much as you like. Sounds good. Choose one. Amsterdam, New York or Paris and why? Paris, because I just moved here and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the honeymoon phase with Paris. <laughs> Great. Can you share with our audience what is your favorite travel or luxury app on your phone and why? I'm using Masterclass a lot. You know, ah, yes. App where, you can, uh, where you can have access to these most amazing talks by kind of real visionary um, leaders and, and interesting people from all different facets of life. So, yeah, I use this actually quite a bit. It was a gift from our CEO for Christmas, and uh, ah, I've been, nice. uh, I've been uh, watching many of those shows. Yes, that's a nice uh, app. What is the one thing that you are thankful to having learned in the last 12 months? Uh, that's a great question. It's a very special year. Last yeah, year. It's exactly, yes. exactly because of that, I would say, uh, well, let me answer this way, the power of travel, because by traveling, you get to be in front of people and truly connect with people. And there is really nothing like a physical, physical meeting, if you will, or a physical experience. And I think, you know, power opens you up to different cultures and different experiences and we can do a lot through digital ways, but it doesn't really come close to the real, to the real thing. So I'm thankful for travel. <laughs> Great. Simon, it was a true pleasure speaking with you today. And thank you for being one of our luxury voices. Thank you very much for having me, Joanne. Thank you for listening to this episode of Luxury Voices. If you have enjoyed it and found this episode useful, please share it with your network, like it, rate it, and help us spread our voices. You can find information about today's voice and the podcast content in the podcast notes. Luxury Voices is a podcast created by Infinite Luxury Group, a luxury sales, marketing, communication specialist based in Asia. Please tune in for the next episode. Bye for now.